You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. In today's program, Father Paul touches on the importance of God's blessings and curses at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12. I am happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. It is as though the text is telling us that God is not going to allow anyone to settle in a place where they feel at ease. It is always his plan that he has in mind. But then verse 2 becomes very important because it is there that we hear, and I shall make you a great nation, you, Abram. That's very important. So this move from Haran to the area of Palestine, Bethel and Shechem, we're going to hear about them soon, is precisely the beginning of the story of Abram. Abram, you will notice later, will never go back to Haran. But he's going to go to Egypt, and that is going to be, in a way, the beginning of the end. Now, going back to Ur of the Chaldeans, it is very important because later we hear that his descendants had to do the same, to follow the same path. God will take them out of the Ur of the Chaldeans, and all scholars point this out, that the word Chaldean is technically the name of the Neo-Babylonians, beginning with the middle of the first millennium. It's not an old name. So the author is already planting the seed that he's talking about this Ur, this Mesopotamia, of the Chaldeans. So the text is already linking Abram with his progeny. But then comes the important verb, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So we have twice the use of blessing to counteract the mention of the curse twice. I will bless those who bless you in verse 3, and him who curses you, I will curse. And I'll make my comment on that when I get to verse 3, because we have two verbs for curse here, which are very important, because they are a recollection of the instances of these two verbs earlier. But, Speaking about the blessing is very important. We hear it technically four times, two in two and two in verse three, twice in verse two and twice in verse three. And the blessing clearly comes from God. That is his action. 
and he will make his name great. Very important. Notice, hear it. Agadla. Gadol, mighty, powerful, great. He's going to make the name of Abram. Now, people can tell me whatever they want, but we know that his name is Abram and so on. No, that's not the point. The point is that they hear the word Shem and here again comes into the picture that original Shem, the grandfather whose name reflects the name of God as I explained last time. So it's very important to hear the text in its original. Moving to verse 3, to come back to the original. The first curse is from the verb qillel. I mean, in Arabic, it's very clear, is to belittle, to make less. But the other one is the verb arar that was used in early Genesis. Now, qillel, we heard it earlier in the oath or the promise of God in 821 where he shall never curse again Ha'adama. So this text here, the way it is phrased, brings to mind the two previous curses. And God is saying that the instatement of the anti-curse, which is his blessing, is going to be done through the name of Abram and that becomes very important when we're going to meet the change of the name of Abram and that's why we have this tension the promise was made to Abram or Abraham and that the hearer will have to settle according to the text that is ultimately through the name of Abraham and Sarah, the two belittled ones that God is going to make them great, Gadol, the opposition. That's it, friends. We have to make the effort. I think if you too can convince your hearers to learn Hebrew within the next three years, that would be the greatest blessing okay let's forget about going to church and praying and communion and so no 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 just concentrate on learning hebrew it is through that that the blessing will take place otherwise the blessing the people are talking about is a figment of their imagination so a blessing is not a blessing which is a blessing which is a blessing we're talking about the divine blessing notice that all the verbs used here, whether blessing and curse, the agent the subject is God. And we have not finished, because when I said that the verb kalel reminds us of 821, when God will not kalel curse again ha'adama, then one sees the importance of the fact that at the end of verse 3, we have suddenly 
the mention of the families of the Adama and not the earth which has been mentioned time and again until then. And that becomes very important. Adama is connected to Adam which means any kind of man. But then if you recall Genesis 2, Adama is connected also to the animals out of which they were formed as Adam was formed and definitely last but not least that the first time we heard the word Mishpaha family as I pointed this out was in conjunction of the families of the animals that left the ark. So very powerful these verses in the original Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The 4 just says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. So the major person is Abram. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So it's very interesting that there is no hope at 75 that we will have children, and we shall have the play on that later in the book of Genesis. So the end of 11, uh, and more so the beginning of 12, but again, the hearers have to be very careful. I mean, they need to understand that they have to read or hear the Bible as much as possible without chapters and verses. It's just a text. Chapters and verses were made up later in the second millennium after Christ. You know, it's, it's just to hear the movement of the story that these words are used with a purpose and then the text ends with that he departed, left, went out, which is the verb that is going to be used later regarding the coming out of Egypt. So somehow the connotation here, I mean, within the entire picture of Scripture is that Abraham is going to go out of Haran, which is the home, not to go back to it. And he will become that figure that gives hope to the exiles in the book of Isaiah. So it's very heavy, very pregnant, but again, only if we hear the original regarding not only the meaning of proper names, but also the verbs how they are used. Like take the English, curse, curse. You have the same verb, but in the original you have to use. And let me wrap up with my stress again on the nations that the blessing will be unto all nations or technically the families of the Adama. But I mention nations because God says that he's going to make Abram a great nation but the great nation will be ultimately family style. And to come back to something I mentioned last time, and this is how one understands scripture, that the very strange Arpakshad as the name of the first person in the Toledot of Shem, which I said last time is obviously non-Semitic. We have 
six consonants. I mean, that's not the way. And none of them is unless you take the Aleph at the beginning, but then you are stuck with five other consonants where it is a verbal addition, you know. Ar, Pak, Shad, it reminds you of these names like Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, so it's very strange that in the series of names of the descendants of Shem, which are clearly and obviously all of them connected to shepherd life, we have suddenly at the beginning Arpakshad, and with this one goes back to that very famous chapter, which is the Toledot of the three sons of Noah, together, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So, this passage, beginning with the Toledot of Shem and the beginning of the Toledot of Terah, I mean, it's not long. You know, it starts with verse 10 and a few verses, then the following verses of chapter 12. You have encapsulated the entire thesis of scripture. I know you're tired by now hearing me that at every turn I say, well, this chapter and this few chapters encapsulates. Well, that is the uniqueness of Genesis 1 through 11. <laughs> It is meant to be so. And as usual, I like to give my own twist. So by then, you are ready to hear God repeating himself ad nauseam. But then, if you have the right ear, if you have ears to hear, you will understand that his repetition has nothing to do with his senility. It has to do with the fact that you, the hearer, time and again and again and again does not hear, listen, obey. That is the bottom line. You deal with people, uh, you are a pastor, you are a teacher, and you know, beginning with yourselves, ourselves, including me, that the real tension is between whether God is a senile old man of Daniel, or we are the unrepentant, recalcitrant, rebellious children. And here comes to mind the famous intro of Isaiah. Okay, sons have I reared, and they rebelled against me, but the ass and the ox do better. And remember, these are animals, the real mishpacha. So it's really something very powerful and I'm glad that I'm doing these podcasts and make sure Mark tell the people that we did that before I turned 75 so that my hearers would not assume that I said this while I was starting my senility no 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 <laughs> I have my coffee next to me I slept well last night I put down notes in front of me on the screen of the computer and print it out. So there we go. It's really 
very, very impressive. So, Father Paul, it's striking that Abram does not have a Matoli dog. Could you say something about that? Abraham and Joseph are special. The progeny of Abram is not his progeny. Very clearly mentioned this several times, but we shall see it when we get to the text, that Isaac is not the genetic son of Abram. Impossible. Ishmael is, notice how Paul got it in chapter 4 of Galatians, that he is the son of the promise of God. Next year when I shall come, he is the son of the word, but he became the Yahid, the one, the son of Abraham. So there is a play against Abram, notice the mention of his age, and then when he was circumcised at 99, and he and his son. So, technically, he did not produce, he did not holid, and thus he remains as a figure standing on its own. The father of us all is the father of the weakling lamb, and this brings to mind Ezekiel 34. Joseph, since you asked the question, is also important because, again, you know, Joseph is unlike anyone else. People mix between Joseph and Moses. The two are the saviors. No, Moses is the lawgiver. He's not the savior. The savior is Joseph, who saved, one more time, not only his skin, but Egypt, very powerful from famine. So you see how he functions, if you like, Allah Abraham. He is majestic, overarching the three brothers, sons of Noah. It's just powerful, but you know, we cannot go in detail now, but just to answer as quickly as I can so that I won't be misunderstood that somehow he's spiritual and so on. He prayed God and God granted him Isaac through Sarah. That's not what the text is saying. That's the same that both. Are. So that is, I believe, its importance. Now, if someone else comes with another, I have no problem so long as the answer is based on the text itself. And then remember that Isaac is born after the change of names from Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. Isaac is born in chapter 18 after the covenant in 17. And on purpose, the text says, Abraham and his son Ishmael was his concise and he gives the ages of both. But Isaac will top them in the fact that, I mean, scripturally, that he is the first one who was circumcised on the eighth day according to the covenant. But that's enough. You know, you tackled an important issue in scripture and I cannot answer just in two words, but that's the name of the game. Father Paul, the way that you expounded on Sarai and the horses, right off the bat in Hosea, we have these imprecations against warfare and warfare is an extension of self-sufficiency, which is a reflection of idolatry. 
Can you talk to us a little bit more about the connection between these terms and military and fighting and war and that sort of thing? Well, I just heard from both Maria Meras and Daniel Ayush who were in Helsinki at the SBL that my good, good, good friend whom I've never met, the Polish Bartos, who endorsed my book with a blurb, one of his papers, he always presents three papers, the maximum allowed for someone at the SBL meetings. And he presides over two, and he's only in his early 40s. Ah, that's a good one. And one of his papers was the story of the flood as an anti-war. Oof! There you go, Richard. It's all over the place. What matters ultimately, and that I would like to have it on the podcast, is the snorting of the Most High. <laughs> Any other snorting. Is... We know we have to be careful of the Lord's nose. Yes, that's it. That's it. You see how I think I'm blessed, uh, whether more, less than Abram, I don't know. All I know that I'm blessed that I was born where I was born, and I grew up where I grew up, and I studied where I studied, and I learned and it is just uh, it is fantastic. And you know the story of Bartos. He just has these ideas. And then he read Roman Catholic Protestant. He said, I want to check. But no one among the Orthodox say that. And he just heard in an article, I think, about me and so on. And he started reading my books. And then he said, you know, it was not very fun when I discovered that someone else had said these things before. me." Uh, so there you go. That's what I like about hearing scripture. For me, slowly on, I realized at least scripturally, like people say, you have to not only to hear, but to listen. No. Listen, you're putting an effort. It's your decision. Here, you just hear whatever is read aloud. And that's why I would like that the decision be taken by the Holy Synod that for one year in the Orthodox Church, there will be no sermons and two readings. The OCA have that already, two readings for the day. <laughs> Just do two readings. And since uh, Orthodox priests love to make long sermons, uh, do the two readings in English followed by Greek or Hebrew just for the people to hear, <laughs> and that is very important. So it's really exciting. I mean, your comment and what I heard a few days ago about Bartos Adamzuski. Anyway, it's a blessing. Everything is a blessing coming from the Word of God. So that's it, and we'll take it easy from now on, as easy as can be. We're going to follow Abraham Haibri. He's going to keep Abar and Abar and going here and going there. But I think by now we heard it all. But as I say, to understand what you heard, you cannot not know the rest of Scripture. It's impossible. But by the same token, this tells me that really, more than ever, I'm more than convinced that the entire scripture was written in tandem. There is no before and add. And, no, no. 
and the expansion is to overwhelm the people. Remember the Greek epics. I mean, can you imagine just to go to services? You need one full year at least to hear. I mean, especially if you take Old and New Testament. I mean, how much can you read in a session? So you're bombarded until it sets down into your biblical heart. And thus you take it, just to use the English, at heart. But we should say at your biblical heart, which is not spiritual, but it is of flesh, as Ezekiel say. It's the spirit of God that reinstate in you a fleshly heart instead of your stony heart. But you yourself never become spiritual as God is. You're being spiritual meaning, as I explained so many times, pneumaticos means kata pneuma according to the spirit. But anyway, these things have to be meshed together and articulated time and again. And I thank you, perhaps today more than ever, for your inviting me to do podcasts. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Father Mark and Rachel. Thank you, Father Bob. Take care. Bye. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network. 